Here at New Spring, we're talking about illusions. An illusion is something that looks true, sounds true, and feels true, but it's not. And if you sell out for it, you'll wind up losing something that, that's very valuable. Now, a magic show that you go to, it's not the end of the world if you happen to believe in a trick that isn't right or true. But if, on the other hand, you live your life believing stuff that isn't true, then you can wind up losing the things that are most valuable to you. So in this series, we're unmasking Satan, so to speak, to look at the lies that he tells and gets people to believe that swindles them out of their destiny. This morning's talk is one of the most important talks that I think I'll ever bring to our church. And this, I, I'm always talking to people in every situation of life. So normally I'm talking to people who are longtime committed followers of Jesus, those who have just made a decision to follow him, and maybe those who are still exploring. And I guess to some extent, I will be talking to those of you who are still exploring. But especially today, I want to focus on those of us who have already decided to follow Jesus, because Satan has got a custom-made lie to swindle you out of something or out of many things that are most precious to you. And that lie goes something like this, give up, don't even try. In your life, you're successful in many areas, but chances are, if you're anything like me, there are a few areas where you haven't mastered the issue yet. There may be one special area that's so big, one challenge is so big, it may be a situation that you're in, it could be a weakness that you have personally, it just could be something that you feel, but there's one situation that sort of kicks your backside every time. And today, we want to talk about that, and I want to take you to one of the most famous stories in the Bible. If you're looking for where we're going to land, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll spend almost the entire day there, so if you get to that spot, you're going to be fine. But let me introduce the characters. There is a story here, and the players in the story are going to relate to your life and my life, so let's meet them. The first people I want to introduce you to is Israel. This is God's people. This is the home team. This is you and me. Israel at this moment is going through a season of up and down. I mean, sometimes they follow God, sometimes they don't follow God. Sometimes they have wins, sometimes they have losses. It's kind of an up and down proposition. Frankly, it's kind of a weak time in their lives. And maybe we instantly identify with that. We would say, well, Mark, some days I'm really like up and I'm like having a real strong sense of God's presence. And other days I go to bed at night and I think, wow, did I ever talk to God or even experience God today? And so you have your up moments and your down moments. If that's how you feel, and I think that is many of us, then we're going to identify in this story with Israel. Now let's meet the enemy. Let's meet the opposition. They are the Philistines. They are the enemies of God's people, city dwellers who live in the coastal cities. And because they live in the coastal cities, they go looking for food and you know, just various things that are valuable. And so they attack and raid Israel. And they are especially good at developing weaponry. They, at that moment, had the most sophisticated weaponry in the world. And so the Israelites had to deal with them. And here is something that I find specifically important as we deal with this story as it relates to us. They win a lot. You know, sometimes you read about the people of Israel in the Old Testament, it seems like they go from win to win to win to win to win because God is with them. But you need to understand, in this situation, the Philistines, they do a lot of winning. So already we have met the home team, we've met the opposition, and now we're going to see that the opposition team has got a, a special player, and that player's name is a giant named Goliath. And in effect, he is the messenger of the enemy. Now, as we're, as we're comparing this to our lives, the enemy is Satan. A messenger of the enemy would be just something sent out to intimidate us. 
Goliath was nearly nine feet tall or a little over nine feet tall, which is not amazing because we've had people in the 20th, 21st century that are nine feet tall. But let's read about him. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, the Bible says, a giant nearly 10 feet tall stepped out from the Philistine line into the open, Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head, was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. He wore bronze shin guards, carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. So as we're unpacking this story, what's your Goliath? What's, what's the one thing you can't beat? What is the one problem you can't overcome? What is the one situation that you can't rectify? What is the one issue in your life that you just never can seem to get mastery over? Whatever that is, that is Goliath in your life. And now let me introduce the hero. His name is David. What's especially interesting about David is there's a weird dichotomy in David's life because David is just a teenage kid. He's probably, I'm guessing, somewhere around 5'11". He's not particularly big, doesn't really stand out. Frankly, the first aspect of that dichotomy is David's a nobody. I mean, people just look right past him. He's the eighth of eight sons, and not much is expected of the baby of the family. And for all of you other babies of the family, and I am one, you know that there are just certain jobs that gravitate down to the baby of the family. David's, three of David's older brothers are soldiers. They're in the army. They're encamped to go to battle against the Philistines. David, on the other hand, has been sent to the fields to watch the sheep. He is a shepherd. He just does what is left over. But the second aspect of that dichotomy should really interest you because although David is a nobody, he has God's favor on his life. In fact, we could say that David very literally is anointed. It all came down in the previous chapter. If you're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, go back to chapter 16 when you get home and you'll read a story. At this point, Israel had a king who was not a very good leader. He was a big part of the reason why Israel was up and down. And God finally said, I've had enough of him. And so God said to his prophet Samuel, who was the spiritual leader in Israel, I want you to go to this little town of Bethlehem, and I want you to anoint the next king, the next person who will be king. So Samuel goes down to this little town of Bethlehem, and, and God has already told him that it's one of the sons of Jesse. So they throw a big party. I mean, they're going to have like a buffet dinner, and all the town is out there, and Jesse's there, and he's got seven of his eight sons, because somebody's got to stay with the sheep. And hey, the king, not going to be the baby. So Jesse said, okay, all the older boys go. David, you stay home. No chance for you. He's a nobody. When Samuel gets to Bethlehem, he sees the sons of Jesse. And file this name away. You'll need it in about 10 minutes. The oldest kid is named Eliab. He's tall. He's good looking. He's handsome. He's regal in appearance. He's the kind of person that everybody would look at and say, yeah, he would make a good king. Samuel has his oil out. In the, in, in the way that God set up the Jewish nation, the kings were anointed with fragrant oil. That oil was poured upon, poured upon their heads to signify, you ready for this? To signify God's choosing for a specific task and God's enabling to do that task. So Samuel has his fragrant anointing oil, and there is Eliab, tall, handsome, and regal, standing before him. And Samuel says, oh, this has got to be the one. He's the oldest, after all. He's got the oil up halfway, and God's like, up, oh, put it down, Samuel. I don't want him. Many, many years ago, before I moved to Kansas, I used to buy gasoline from this convenience store. And whenever I would go in, this was before we had credit cards to pay at the pump. I'm really old. Before, when you went in to pay for it, there was a cash register. Behind the cash register, there was a, a framed counterfeit $20 bill. And then right underneath it, a little 
writing that said, no thanks, we already have one. I always think about that whenever I think about Samuel and Eliab. I mean, Samuel's ready to anoint Eliab, and God's like, no thanks, I already got one like that. Don't want him. Oh, must be the second born. (gasps) Going to anoint him. God said, don't want him either. Third son, don't want him either. Fourth, fifth, sixth. Man, Samuel's looking at Jesse like, wow, what's going on here? I mean, finally he says, is this all you boys? Eh, no, we we got the runt of the family. He's out watching the sheep. Now listen, I've been around church groups before that were about to eat. I know how, how big this was. Samuel said, we don't eat till he gets here. They rushed him in real quick. I would love to see this moment. There are so many moments that I want to see when I get to heaven, if God kept them on film. I really do want to see this moment where this, this teenage kid walks in and faces this grand, old, godly man of Israel, and he looks, Samuel looks for the first time into the eyes of the future king for whom the Israeli flag is still named. David. And God said, yeah, I want him. And so he pours the oil on David's head. So when you get to chapter 17, it is, it's kind of ironic, this dichotomy, because on one hand, David is a nobody, but on the other hand, he is anointed and chosen by God. You know what is interesting today? If Jesus were to walk in here, which I would love that, I'd be so glad just to sit down and listen. But if Jesus were to walk in here today, he is here, by the way, through his Holy Spirit. And he were to like say, these are the people I'm going to really use. It would probably surprise us. Because he might look at me and say, "Ah, Mark, you know, you're you're a B team. You know, you're you're one of the scrubs. He might on the other hand look at somebody who's just accepted Christ a few days ago and say, I'm going to use you for something really great. See, here's the thing. It's not that God just has a thing for underdogs. In, In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the previous chapter, the Bible says, look at this, people judge by outward appearance. Lord knows that is true. People judge by outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God looks at who you really are. So there you have it. I've introduced the characters to you. You have Israel. That's God's team. That's you and me. That's who we would sync up with in the story. You have the enemy, the Philistines, sophisticated, hateful enemies, idolaters. They attack. They win from time to time. You have this special, special Philistine, Goliath, who's nine feet tall, a champion. And then you have David, our sort of nobody, but has God's anointing in his life. With that in mind, I want to give you this story and some scenes. And in these scenes, we're going to like look at how we're going to deal with the giants in our life. This is scene one. Let's just call it the situation. Hey, you're in a situation? How many of you walked in today in a situation? It could be a situation at work. It could be a situation in your family. It could be a situation with a friend. It could be a situation with your health. It could be a situation... It could just be an internal situation. There's a situation here. And the situation brings all of these, all of these components together. Let's look at this. This is in, if you're in chapter 17, look at the 8th verse. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why, why are you all coming out to fight, he said. I'm the Philistine champion, but you are the servants of Saul Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll all be your slaves. Yuck, 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 yuck. But if I kill him, you will all be our slaves. Send me a man to fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. 
Now, here's the thing about situations that you and I deal with. I find three aspects of those situations I have that are harmonic with what we just saw. Notice, first of all, there was a taunt. And then there was a threat. Let's distinguish a taunt from a threat. A taunt is something that rips you personally. A threat is something that you're scared of. Notice how Satan does both. The first thing we see is Goliath says, hey, there's no reason for carnage. There's no reason for all you guys to die. I'm the champion here. You guys are servants. You feel that? It's like while he's offering this challenge, he's sticking the knife in and turning it. I'm a champion. You're slaves. You're nobody. You got nothing. And that's what Satan is going to tell you. I mean, he'll, he'll say, oh, yeah, you can handle this and you can handle that, but whoa, that one thing you can't handle, hey, you got nothing. Then the threat. He said, if you lose, you will be our slaves. You know, let's go on to the third one, the third aspect of this. Notice there's limbo. There's the taunt, there's the threat, and then there's limbo. Because the Bible says about the people in, in, on the home team here, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And then it goes on to say, this happened every morning and every night for 40 days. Now I want you to think about that limbo thing. Because it wasn't like they quit being the home team. I mean, it wasn't like people were throwing away their weapons and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to go over and join the Philistines. Or I'm quitting. No, they, they were still on the home team, but they weren't going forward. They weren't going backward, but they weren't going forward. They were in limbo. Listen, guys, this is getting right to the heart of what I want to talk about today. If you're a new springer, God has asked me to be your spiritual leader. And in your life and my life, let me tell you what I fear. I don't fear that you'll leave the home team. I don't fear that you'll give up on God. I just fear that you'll live your life in limbo. Oh, I just can't handle that. You know, it's been in my family for generations. My grandfather had anger issues. My dad had anger issues. I guess I'm just going to have anger issues. And, and you're a God follower and you love God. But you look at the rest of your life and you say, I guess I'm just always going to deal with this. Limbo. That's a hard place to live. Can you imagine 40 days of this? I mean, here's the thing. Every morning when they get up, it's like, oh, there he is again. I mean, they like, can't even enjoy their breakfast. Their stomachs are turning. It's like, I, don't, I mean, I, can't even, I, I, I don't even know what I'm eating. I, he's going to be out there again. He's going to scream at me and yell at me, and he's going to tell me I'm a loser, and, and he's going to kill me, and he's going to beat me. And, and, and then and last thing at night, who can go to sleep after that? Who am I talking to today? That giant, you wake up in the morning and he's on your monitor as soon as your eyes open. Last thing you think about at night. Now, during the daytime, you can get on with work and you can do the things that you have to do, but early in the morning, boy, he's there. At night, he's there. There it is again, anxiety. There it is again, fear. There it is again, insecurity. There it is again, I'm, 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 I'm being told I'm never going to be anything. I mean, you just, whatever giant you want to put in there, you know what it's like when you deal with that giant every morning and every night. And now scene two, the turnaround begins. I love turnarounds, don't you? The turnaround begins. Look at this language. Verse 16, for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted. Verse 17, one day, you feel that? 
It's almost like the cool breeze on a hot day. For 40 days, it was, we, it just grinded on me in the morning, grinded on me at night. 40, but one day, <laughs> I love my job at New Spring because Every week I hear about stories of people whose lives are transformed by just walking in this place and being part of what God is doing. And I have so many stories like that, but there's one story about a guy who was unlikely to be a follower of Jesus, but he came in here one time and he heard the story and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, he passed, but the family gave me a memento of his very successful, well-credentialed life. I keep that memento on my table next to my chair because four times a week I'll walk out here to bring a message. And when I get tired in like the late service on Sunday, I always touch that memento when I walk out there because I think today is somebody's day. Is it your day? You came in here being kicked around for years, but who knows? Maybe this is your day. I mean, you know, this is what the Bible says. For 40 days, it went on and on. But one day, now, you're in the David spot in the story. So you're a change agent. How, how are you going to know that one day? How are you going to know that one day that everything's going to change? Do you get up in the morning like angels are singing in the sky? Is it like one of those days where it's sort of like, you know, the twilight zone, where you get up in the morning and like every, every radio, every stereo that you hear is like playing worship music? You know, here's the thing. This is beautiful to me. Maybe it's a small thing to you, but I noticed this, that this day starts, ready for this, with an anointed person just doing his job. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 17, the Bible says, One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket to your brothers. There's no glory in that. Listen, guys, I'm going to tell you something. I am convinced that turnarounds begin when God's people just simply put one foot in front of the other in the right direction. And just do what you know to do. So a lot of times, see, here's the thing. When we get taunted by the enemy, we just check out on life and we live in limbo. What does the Bible say? Just keep living. Just keep going. Just keep doing what you know to do. And, and David, even though he's a gopher and that's his job, his dad said, take this basket to your brothers. But you and I know that by the end of this day, David is going to be one of the most famous people in all of history. Well, when David gets to camp, now, you got to remember, put yourself in David's place. He doesn't know about Goliath. They, they, don't have, you know, they don't have iPhones back then. He doesn't know what's going on. He just gets to camp. And, I mean, and everybody at camp is just like getting ginned up. And David's like, wow, I just I feel this. I, I got here on a special day. Look, at, he arrived at camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon... The Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Now, just get this picture in your head. I mean, David gets to camp, and I mean, the guys are all painting their faces, and they're look, I got their military look. I Abimelech, do I look tough today? Yeah, you look tough today. I mean, they're yelling and they're screaming and they're waving their swords and, and they get out there and I mean, they're all the chants and the cheers going and it's like, okay, beat Goliath on three. One, two, three, beat Goliath. David's like, wow, this is exciting. And they take off and they start running and they're waving their swords and they're screaming. And all of a sudden, oh, there he is again. You know, he looks taller than he looked yesterday. 
we better run. And David's like, man, that's some weird stuff you boys are into. All this painting your face and yelling and cheering and screaming and all that. And you get out there and you see him and you turn around and tuck tail and run. Dad, that's some weird stuff. Wasn't the only people thinking that. The Philistines thought it was some weird stuff too. Hey, I'm not going to pick on these guys because I've been right there in their group. Come in here and worship. They're not painting my face or anything, but, you know, it's like, wow. I sing about victories I don't win. I worship a God I'm not sure I can trust. And I celebrate promises I don't even claim. Man, no wonder the world looks at us and says, that's some weird stuff you guys are into. Now, here's the thing. Here's David. You know, he's running with them to see the giant, and he's running away from them, too, and trying to figure out what's going on. And David's like, I don't, I don't understand this weird stuff you're into. They ask him one question in verse 25 that in their mind makes it all work. They say to David, have you seen the giant? So that, that's their, well, we're going to run out and fight him, and now we're going to turn around and run away from him, and it doesn't make any sense, but wow, have you seen the giant? See, here's the thing. If you and I could talk to each other about our giants, we could find the contradiction pretty easily between what we say we believe and how we live our lives. But when anyone would seriously call us to account for that, we would say it's just such a big thing. My situation is so big. My problem is so big. This trait that I've lived with is so big. It explains why I do the cheering and then turn around and run. Now, whatever your giant is right now, this is where the turnaround actually begins. Because when you listen to David, I mean, look at, look at verse 26. He says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy our armies? Is that what he says? No. He said, who is this pagan Philistine that he is allowed to defy the armies of God? So you didn't understand, David saw the fight very differently than everybody else in the army. All the other soldiers, they looked at Goliath and said, well, he's 10 feet tall and, and look at me. And it's not a fair fight. So I'm going to run. It makes sense to run. David said, this fight is not with me. This giant has picked a fight with God. He's picked a fight with the God of Israel. He's picked a fight with the God who stepped out on nothing and created the world. He picked on the God who rides the wind. He picked on a God who calls the stars by name. I mean, David looked at that little 10-foot-tall giant, and he looked up at Almighty God, and he said, this is not a fair fight. This is really, really big. Whatever is coming against you that is standing in the way of you being the woman God has destined you to be, has picked a fight with God. Whatever it is, it, it hasn't picked a fight with you, it's picked a fight with God. It, it, if you just look at it in terms of it's picked a fight with me, then you'll ask yourself, do I have the resources to overcome? But if you think about the fact that it's picked a fight with God, it's like it's not a fair fight. 
In fact, notice something. David actually begins to consider this a time of opportunity. David says in verse 26, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? And I mean, David's like, boy, there's got to be something to get out of this. I mean, after all, he's picked a fight with God and God's going to overcome him. And if I get to be part of this, I, no telling what I'll get. And they tell David while they're running away from Goliath, well, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of nice parting gifts that you get if you beat the giant. I mean, you get a whole lot of money and you get to marry the king's daughter and no taxes for the rest of your life. That's a fact. Read it. And David's like, well, I could use that. He's thinking about it. He's thinking it over. Now, here's the weird thing. Oh, this is really important. Please don't check out right now. Because I'm talking to some of you right now, and you're starting to think about lifelong battles that you've dealt with, that have kept you in limbo, that have intimidated you, and you're starting to realize, wait a minute, it's picked a fight with God. Maybe I, maybe I could do something. I want to talk to you for just a moment, because you're going to be shocked to find out that sometimes the greatest discouragement comes from people on your team. Because here's the thing, if they're not challenging their giants, they don't really want you to challenge yours. And so... He gets that from his oldest brother. We met him earlier. His name is Eliab. So David's running. And what do I get if I beat the giant? Eliab overhears that. And he gets embarrassed. He heard David talking to the men. He was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. And I know you just came here to see the battle. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, do you think about, he, this trash-talking brother, oh, by the way, how many of you, no, don't raise your hands, how many of you met a few trash-talking brothers? So I'm married to one, Mark. No, no, no. no, no. Notice that he attacked David in three areas. Number one, he attacked him in his significance. You ain't nothing but a shepherd boy. You don't belong down here. And by the way, now that I think about it, you don't even have very many sheep. Number two, he attacked him in his character. I know your pride and your deceit. I'm not going to teach on this today, but you watch and see if a lot of times the craziest criticism will get leveled at you, stuff you would never even dream of doing, but it gets leveled at you because that's what that person is guilty of. David wasn't a proud person. He wasn't a person who was deceitful, but Eliab was. That's why he didn't get to be king. But Eliab said, I'm going to attack your character. I, I know about your pride and your deceit. And then finally, he attacked his motive. He said, you just came down here to see the battle. Well, I'd argue there wasn't much battle going on. Here's what's beautiful. Now, I tell you what, if I'm David, I want to clean his clock. I want to say, where do you get off? But notice something that's really beautiful. David doesn't get into a fight with Eliab. Look at this. This is all David says to him. David said, what have I now done? Was it not laid upon me? David's like, I didn't pick this fight. <laughs> I mean, I just came down here to bring you guys some, some food. And when I came down here, I saw the giant and this thing got laid on me. Okay, this is big. Why did David not fight with his brother? There was no prize for fighting with his brother. Now, if he, fights with, if he beats Goliath, he gets the king's daughter a lot of money, doesn't have to pay taxes the rest of his life. There's no bonus for fighting his brother, even if he wins. I'm talking to some of you today. If you go out to fight your giant, it'll be your husband that'll say dis discouraging things. And you'll, you'll want to like get distracted and get into a fight with him, but there's no prize for beating him. You want to get into an argument with your wife. You want to get into an argument with your parents or with somebody else in your life that just is discouraging and they saying, hey, there's no prize for winning if you win. 
The fight's not with your wife. It's not with your husband. It's not with your kids or your parents or your next-door neighbors or your mother-in-law. Your fight is with the enemy. Well, I've got to roll on. Here is scene three, the decision, the decision. I love this. David told Saul, that's the king, no one should be discouraged because of this. I love this. I will go and fight the giant. That's the decision. David has started all over. He's weighed it. He's looked at it. He's thought about how the battle is set up. And David is saying, I will go and fight the giant. It's a big moment. Are you willing? I mean, because the rest of them are like, well, no, no, we're we're just going to stay in limbo here. We're not going to quit, but we're not going forward. We're just going to live out the rest of our lives in limbo, however long it takes. And David says, I will go and fight the giant. Man, my granddaddy was an angry man. He was a good man, but anger ruled his life. My dad was an angry man, but it ruled his life. But it stops here. I will go and fight the giant. Yeah, I've lived the first 40 years of my life and without self-control, and I've, I've, I've not been careful about how I've taken care of my body, and I haven't been careful about what I eat, but you know what? It stops here. I will go, and here's the verb, fight the giant. It's not I will go and throw a, a little party. I will go and fight the giant. Do you have it in you? Or is limbo okay? And David was like, I will go and, and fight the giant. Now, here's the thing. When David said that, it is amazing that not everybody jumped up and down. We've already seen Eliab gave him trouble, but now he's going to get trouble from his king. Okay, ready? Oh, goodness. He is going to get trouble from the authority in his life. Not, not God, but the human authority. Now, notice that King Saul said two things to David. Here's the first thing. He responded to David in verse 33, you can't. You can't. You can't do it. And he goes on to say, this, this Philistine man, he's been a champion since he was a little kid, and you're just a boy. You can't do it. Now, here's what I love about David's response. David, David's response was not like, I've been to a motivational talk, and I've heard that if you believe it, you can achieve it, and, and I just feel it, I feel I can do it, and yeah, I believe I can fly. No. Look at this. This is big. David said, I've killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them because he's challenged the army of the living God. David added, the Lord who saved me from the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. Okay, this is huge. Why did David believe he could beat the giant? He tells Saul two things. Number one, he said, this is not my first brush with trouble. I've had trouble before. He said, I I kept the sheep, and lions and bears came out, and and I, and I killed them. God helped me kill them. This, and he said, this is not my first brush with trouble. Then number two, he said, this is, not my first, <laughs> this is not my first experience with God. You know the weird thing about those of us who are living in limbo because we're intimidated by the giants in our life? If we would stop and think about it, it's not our first brush with trouble, is it? And it's not our first experience with God. What about all those other times that God brought you out? What about those times that God God answered your prayer and healed your body and those times when you thought you weren't going to be able to survive and God made a way? I mean, would God bring you this far to leave you now? I mean, I love what David said. God God didn't bring me this far to leave me. This is not my first brush with trouble, and it's not my first experience with God. 
Well, Saul's tried to tell him he can't do it, so now he's going to change his strategy. Saul says, well, okay, if you're just bound and determined, you're going to go out and fight the, lion, the giant. Now, you've got to remember Saul's seven feet tall. David's just a kid. Saul said, you've got to take my armor. So Saul brings out all this clanky armor that he wears. Here's the thing. When you decide that you're going to fight the giant, there will be people in your life who are afraid to fight the giant who will tell you how you should fight the giant because that's how they would fight the giant if they weren't afraid to fight the giant. Saul's like, well, okay, if you're going to do this, I mean, let me, let me put my armor on you. And so he puts all this heavy armor on David. And I love this. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff. I mean, I'm not used to it. And he took it off. You ready for a big point? Hold on to something tight. Take a deep breath. You and I know from the story what David went out to fight the giant with. A slingshot and stones. Now, I'd be the first to admit that sounds weird. It sounds unusual. But you know what? When you think about it, it starts making sense because there is actually a military term for weaponry that behaves like a stone behaves when it's slung out of a slingshot. The official military term for that is missile. Now, think about this for a moment. What did we learn? When the Bible is like telling us all about Goliath, it's like he's 10 feet tall. He's got armor that weighs 175 pounds. He's got shin guards on. He's got a spearhead that weighs 15 pounds. Do you know there are things in life that are true, but they're not important? Listen, if a rock is going to sink into his forehead right between the eyes, it doesn't matter how tall he is. It doesn't matter how much armor he's got. It doesn't matter how much his spearhead weighs. When you think about it, it makes all the sense in the world. And David, man, that's what he's good at. I mean, he's, got a, he's a shepherd. He's out there all the time with the sheep. What are you going to do? Hey, there's no, 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 I, no, no iPhone. There's no iPad. There's no electronic device. He's just out there flicking that slingshot. He gets so good, he can lock, knock the left eye out of a gnat at 40 yards. Just... This is big. God has made you to deal with the giants in your life. Your weaponry may not be what everybody else would carry, but that's okay. God didn't send them to fight your giants. You may feel a little quirky. It's sort of like, well, I don't know. I just never really have fit in. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I just I do things differently than other people would do them. My skills are just different from other people. And I always feel, sometimes I'm in a crowd of people and I kind of feel like I'm all by myself. Listen to me. God has made you specifically to deal with the giants in your life. I've discovered that in my life. Well, let's just look at the confrontation. I'm about to read my favorite line out of this whole story. Armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling. Here's my favorite line. He started across the valley. Why do I like that? Do you realize this is the first time it's been quiet since David got to camp? He gets to camp, there's a huge pep rally. Then there's this rabble row as they start running toward Goliath. And then they're running away from Goliath and they're screaming and yelling. And his brother is out, to, I mean, his brother is chewing on him. And the king is saying he can't do it. And now all of a sudden, he gets to the place where with the slingshot, he walks out across the valley. As he starts out, it's the first time it's been quiet. Ready? 
the naysayers behind him, the enemy in front of him, and God with him. I love this because I've lived it. I fought a few giants in my life. Stuff that people told me I couldn't do. I love that feeling. It's just narcotic, that moment where you're like starting out across the valley. I will go to fight the giant. I don't have the naysayers, and I'm not listening to the naysayers anymore. I know the enemy is out there, but God is with me, and I feel this presence with me, and I'm just not going to be the same when I come out of this. Here is the weird thing. Some of you don't know what this is about yet, but a few of you have been there, and you know what it's like to start across that valley with the naysayers behind you, the enemy in front of you, and God is with you. Here's the cool thing about it. I've seen a few giants fall down as God made them fall down, but I don't want to tell my grandkids about that. I want to tell them about what it felt like at that moment when I walked down into the valley, the naysayers behind me, the enemy in front of me, and God with me. Those are the moments that are transcendent, and they're transformative, and they will shape your life, and you will never be the same if you ever live one of those moments. Just me and God. Maybe that's what David was thinking about when he was elderly, and he sat down to write a song. And he wrote these words from Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are with me. You're with me. So now he's there. There he is, Goliath, all 10 feet tall. David, teenage kid, bag of rocks, sling. Now Goliath has heard that someone is going to fight him. Now, he doesn't know. Maybe Saul has got his courage up. He's seven feet tall. Goliath still has two feet on him. But maybe Saul has got, maybe Saul's been embarrassed to the point where he's going to fight him. Or maybe some big raw-boned country kid has come out of the wilderness. And all of a sudden, his Goliath looks, there's just a punk kid coming out to get him. You know, here's the thing. Oh, goodness. I wish I knew how to preach. What, what, what Goliath sees is only the nobody part of David. He doesn't see the anointed part, does he? So let's look at what Goliath said. Goliath walked out toward David, sneering in contempt at his red-faced boy. And my dog, he roared at David, you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Just come over here, boy. I'm going to kill you. So David went home and posted on Facebook. He won't believe what he said to me. I need a hug. <laughs> David preached the best five-point sermon to this giant you'll ever hear. Giant didn't stick around for the invitation. But I want you to hear what David said to him. And for everybody here who's going out to fight your giant, think about these things. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but number one, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. David said, okay, you're coming out with all your stuff. I'm come, I didn't come by myself. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're big, you're big stuff and everything, and I know you're coming out here, but, but I'm not by myself today. I'm coming in the name of the Lord. Then number two, the Lord will conquer you, and then I'll kill you and cut off your head, and I'll give your dead bodies of your men to the birds and Boy, 10 feet tall, you're going to make a big buffet for a lot of birds tonight. Okay, number three. The whole world, this is, he said this to the Philistines, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And now he looks back over his shoulder, and he says this loud enough for his own people to hear him. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people 
but not with sword and spear. Number five, this is the Lord's battle. You ready to fight your giant? If your giant is stopping you from being the woman God destined you to be, if your giant's stopping you from being the man God destined you to be, that giant's picked a fight with God. And David's like, there's no sense in living in limbo. I will go and fight the giant. And taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. I don't even know why I made this a conclusion in my message today. But remember, David was a nobody. I love this because the Bible says in verse 55, as Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, that's his head of the military, whose son is this young man? Abner said, I, I, I really don't know. And Saul said, find out, find out. You're in a battle. It's beat you before. It may be beating you today. But you're God's daughter. You're God's son. And whatever is stopping you from doing what you should do, it's picked a fight with God. And you're not by yourself. And so I beg you today, don't, don't paint your face up and go out and yell at it and do a lot of positive thinking stuff that's probably okay in its place. You're not by yourself. It's not your first experience with trouble. It's not your first experience with God. He's brought you this far. I will go out and fight the giant. I will go out and fight the giant. I'm, I'm, God's, I'm God's kid. There's no reason for me to get kicked around. The battle is the Lord's. And God will give me the strength. And it is a fight. I'm not going to go out and pretend I can do some hocus-pocus magic and it's going to go away or do a 12-step program, although those are great in their, their places. But this is more than that even. This is having God and saying, with God's power, I will fight the giant. And you've been, you've been made for this moment. There, there are aspects about you that even though nobody else understands them, they're perfectly situated to deal with the giant that you have to face. And if you go out there, God will be with you. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.